De la patrulla de Minos de California. Weather headlines for today, yes. Welcome to the Revenue Generator Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear how industry leaders integrate sales, marketing, product, and customer success into a single business unit with a common goal of optimizing their revenue cycle. We'll unearth how innovators integrate data, technology, people, and processes to expedite demand generation and increase recurring revenue. Sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet a member of the Revenue Generation. Here's the host of the Revenue Generator podcast, the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. Welcome to the Revenue Generator podcast, where we members of the Revenue Generation share solutions for how you can integrate business to optimize revenue. I'm your host and the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. And today, we're going to be talking about how revenue leaders can use AI in their sales strategy. And joining us is Chris Cabrera, who's the founder and CEO at Exactly, which is the leader in intelligent revenue solutions. Using Exactly Solutions, leaders look past the current quarter to create revenue streams for long-term growth. The Exactly Intelligence revenue platform marries artificial intelligence and 17 years of proprietary data in easy-to-use applications. And today, Chris and I are going to talk about AI-driven sales planning. Okay, here's my conversation with Chris Cabrera, the founder and CEO at Exactly. Chris, it's a real honor. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Hi, Doug. Great. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Well, this is one of my favorite topics because I feel like AI has so much utility, but so much of it has been goofed up by marketing. I will say that as a marketing leader, I think we've really overpositioned it. But let's let's give a nod to the importance of AI for sales leaders listening in today. And what I'll do is I'll just talk about the fact that Salesforce in their recent study, the Salesforce State of Sales Management Report, comes out every year, spoke to the fact that high-performing sales teams are five times more likely to be deploying AI than underperforming teams. So Chris, is that your experience in the marketing that in the market overall is that high-performing teams tend to be embracing AI compared to others? Definitely. And certainly more and more these days, I'm seeing that. I think it's becoming such a competitive advantage that I think more and more people are waking up to it. But it's hard because, as you said, I mean, so many companies glob on to the AI you know, moniker and everybody's doing every AI for everything. And then you know, when you peel back the onion, a lot of it's not really AI. It's just data. So you kind of have to, you know, separate the two. But but the smart companies, the, the high-performing companies that we see are absolutely using AI in many aspects of the of the whole process. I think we should demarketingify. I just made up a new term. I'm very excited about it. I'm going to call Webster's. But I think we should kind of pull back the covers and talk about the version of AI that we're talking about today. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna interpret you tell me, Crystal, I have this right, but loosely speaking, I feel like when we're actually speaking about AI that's applied and helps sales organizations perform better, we're talking about machine learning with really great data sets, data sets that allow that machine learning to be performant as it applies to that company. Is that a fair definition of AI-driven yeah, I sales? Think it is. I, I think it is. I think if you talk to you know the data scientists, you know I've been doing this now a long time, but in the early years, what always surprised me was that they were telling me that, you know, the actually, actually building the models is not the difficult part. <laughs> you know, that's not where the magic really happens. That The magic is on what data set you have to apply those models to. And the bigger that data set is, the more robust that data set is, the more valuable and more effective those computers are at distinguishing and finding patterns that humans can't find. 
And it's those patterns that the humans can't find that is AI and that and, and the ability to kind of use that to be informative and net it out to here's, you know, you as a sales leader or CEO or head of marketing, this little nugget, you wouldn't have known because, you're, you know, we, we don't have the capacity to see what all the computers can see. That's the magic. And that's where it really uh, the rubber meets the road. We talked about on the opening, your company's description talks about having this amazing data set, right? 17 years of proprietary data. And I imagine that really that's half the battle in terms of your ability to help your clients. You've got that amazing data set. Are there characteristics about that data set people should know about, say, compared to other non-proprietary data sets that really sets exactly apart when it comes to sales planning? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is one of those things where, you, you know, people say, is it better to be lucky or smart? You know, and, and we're just, I think, lucky. And, and we had the wherewithal back in 2006. Uh, we started the company in 2005. And in 2006, we decided to put it into our contracts that we had the right to aggregate and anonymize our customers' data, you know, which, I mean, at that time, we had three or four or five customers, you know, we, we didn't even know what AI was back then, right? And so, but we just put it in the contract and we thought we'd want it some, at some point. And so we started accumulating this data set. And the thing that, to your point, that is really important to know, our core business for the first 10 years of our life, so we went public in 2015, was in compensation automation. We've since grown that to planning and forecasting and other things we'll talk about. But within the comp world alone, you think about the data that's that's in this data set, right? It's everything that you, every order that comes through, every line item, you know, we're calculating commissions on, we understand who sold it, through what channels, discounting practices. We know when reps were hired. We know when they're terminated, when, you know, we know if it's voluntary or involuntary. We know, you know, the attrition rates of reps. We know the ASPs of deals. I mean, in, in ways that are empirical, right? So it's not a lot of a lot of people like me as a CEO will go around saying, "Oh, my ASP is you know eighty thousand dollars for this," and we're just using these round numbers that kind of become you know what everybody uses. But we have it down to the penny. <laughs> we know exactly what it is, and we know it because you know we pay about half a million people get paid through our system today all over the globe, and it's billions and billions of transactions that go through our system every month. And we've been doing this now for 17 years. So you think about how big that data set is. And so therefore, per what we were saying a minute ago, how meaningful that can be in terms of being predictive on what works. And the last point I'd make is it's a very horizontal customer base that we have. So we have customers like Salesforce and every high-tech company you can imagine, but we also have the Louis Vuittons of the world and, you know, Tory Birches of the world and the Hyatt's of the world. And, you know, we, we, you know, we pay folks at the Australia post office. I mean, it's, it's very, very horizontal. So what, why that's important is you can slice the data. So before you start using the AI, you can say, I only want to run the AI models against these size companies or these companies in this industry or companies in this geography or this state. Right. And now it becomes really super meaningful because it's down to, you know, comparable, like to what you think you are, right? And now it can be much more predictive and, and prescriptive for our customers. And it's not a database that can be replicated in any way. You can't buy this data anywhere. Yeah. No, you cannot buy that data. And it's certainly going to be very difficult to get organizations to share that data unless they're using a tool like exactly and, and have been using it for 17 years. So 
I wouldn't mind taking just a wee wee step back here and just talk about where you're seeing AI gaining ground within the sales organization. And I'll bring up sales forecasting. It feels like that's been a real surge. And then, Chris, where are you seeing lags? Like, where do you think that AI can be better adopted to help sales leaders? Yeah, I think you're right. I think the hot area that seems to, you know, last, I'd say, two years really been picking up is in the forecasting area. And, you know, CROs are becoming much more in tune to the value of these things, right? And so we created an AI model uh, a couple of years ago that <laughs> incredibly predicts rep attrition, right? And so imagine you're a, you're a CRO and you've got 600 sales reps. We have been able to create a model that takes 80 different inputs. And again, I couldn't tell you how it comes up with it. No human could, but somehow the, the, the computers are seeing patterns that we can't see and they're able to say, Hey, this rep is at risk of leaving based on a whole bunch of inputs. We don't know what, you know, we can't tell you which one is causing the, the, it to ultimately say Susie's, you know, likely to quit, but we end up presenting that back to a CRO in a simple plot graph where all the dots that are in the top right quadrant mean that the, the two axes are one is their performance to date, and the other is based on the computers, their propensity to leave. So it's your highest performers that are that the computers are saying are going to leave. That's in the top right. And that, of course, is eye-opening. And you know, it, it's it kind of makes the hair in the back of your neck go up when you realize, or when one of our customers calls us and says, you know what, Chris, you showed me that thing last week. And sure enough, that person just quit. <laughs> it just kind of blows you away. But equally important are the people in the bottom left portion of the screen, because those are your non-performers that have no chance of leaving. <laughs> they're dug in. They're not, they're not going anywhere. And so as the CRO, it's kind of empowering to be able to say, hey, wait a second, we got we to gotta go get these people to move up the other, you know, that one axis or we got to get them out of the organization and I got to go put my arms around these other folks so that they don't leave. So that's one, one quick example. On the forecasting that you mentioned, it's such a perfect app for, you know, this pattern recognition stuff, right? Because again, there's years and years of data in these CRM systems that look at every deal that's been closed. It tracks, you know, all the stages it went through, which reps closed it, did, did the prices go up and down on and on and on. And so what we have found is if you can take that all that data as one set of inputs, and then you can add additional inputs, like we've partnered with Zoom Info for their call recording stuff, right? And so, you know, great app that's recording every single call that the sales reps are having. It's transcribing every single call. And then the, we, we put that into the computer set as well. So it's looking at the number of people that were on the call. It's looking at the number of questions, the duration of the call, and it's comparing it to deals that have successfully closed. And it's, look, it's trying to pattern recognize and say, hey, this particular deal looks a lot like deals that happen versus this deal doesn't look like a deal that happens. And then because the reps or the leadership is saying, I'm forecasting this Acme widget deal to close, the computer is able to say, well, you're saying that's going to close. We're saying it's not. Right. And so it's a way for, you know, the, the CROs to sort of get a gut check where they might say, hey, we think we're going to do $10 million this quarter. The machines are saying we're going to do nine. It's not meant to say they're right, you're wrong. It's meant to say you ought to just go shore up the gap, you know, and look at Because the other thing it does is it, it will say for that Acme widget deal, the reason why the computers are saying, you know, it doesn't pattern recognize is 
you know, the negative sentiment that it's pulling out of your email traffic between the customer and you, or the negative sentiment it's pulling out of. It's not a black box, in other words. Yeah, yeah there's there's yeah. some clarity. To, yes. And that can become kind of almost like a training, you know, to help guide the, the deal and get the rep to do the right thing to get it back on track. So anyway, I know it's a long answer, but it's, it's a complex area. And it's important that people recognize how, how much a little bit of data with a little bit of AI can be and can literally change the dynamic of how people are forecasting and how deals get done. So talk to me about it. I'm going to throw a big word in here, but talk to me about heuristics, specifically as it applies to AI helping sales teams plan better. And, and one thing that pops to mind for me is, you know, quota attainment. And it always feels like there's two sides to quota attainment, right? And this is your bread and butter. So if I speak at a turn, you're going to stop me. But it feels very much like a big part of it is, are you setting appropriate targets? And the second piece is, are you supporting that sales organization the ways that it needs to be supported to hit that quota? So is that an example of maybe a kind of a leading indicator that organizations are adopting AI as a part of their sales planning process that would lead to say, yes, we're seeing improvements, or are we not quite there yet? Well, I mean, I think the answer is most of the world's not doing that, right? And part of it is they don't have the data sets. They don't have anything to compare it to other than themselves. There is no data set on quotas and, you know, correlation between company performance and quotas. Guess what? That's the data set we have, right? I can tell you correlations between top performing companies and what the quotas look like. I can tell you what the comp plans look like what the you know how many measures were on the comp plan i can i can literally tell you we do a study every single year that looks at our highest performing companies again we take away the names it doesn't matter who they are but we can tell you you know size wise who they are and things like that and it correlates their the higher performers and the comp plans and it says hey the best performing companies as an example only have three measures on their comp plan three things that they pay on Whatever those three things are, and they're different for most companies, but only three, right? And so why that's instructive is because the companies can look at their comp plans and go, well, we have 10 things. <laughs> and the data will show very clearly that the least effective comp plans, when looking at actual empirical performance data, have 10. The, you know, and the further, you know, we've seen some that are even, even greater than 10, performance just drops off a cliff. It just does not scale over time. Now, you, you know, maybe somebody's been able to make it work for them in their particular industry or case. But if you're looking at data, if you're looking at, you know, things, you know, trying to look at pattern recognition and things that have worked and not trying to reinvent the wheel all the time. I think that, you know, you if you can find these types of data sets and, and ask it the right questions, it can literally give you the roadmap on, on how you should be using these valuable dollars. And the last point I'd make is keep in mind that compensation, sales compensation for most companies is the largest expense item they have next to, you know, just the rank and file, everyone's general comp, the, the next largest line item. I mean, they're paying the most money in this one area, and they're probably doing the least amount of research to figure out how to best use it because it's not really available. I have to say that you've had a really interesting opportunity in the sense that we're talking about you've, you've been in sales leadership or leading an organization now for the better part of 20 years. But very specifically, you've sort of seen the evolution of the CRO and the sales leadership function from 2005 until today. And, and I have to imagine you've probably seen a real shift in what those folks are focused on and kind of their core characteristics. In other words, I would guess you're seeing a lot more data-driven CROs out there. And, and I say this to you because I'm curious, are you seeing those CROs 
being more embracing of data and more embracing of AI-driven tech, or do you, you feel like it's the same? It hasn't really changed in 17 years. I think it has changed a ton, and I think it is changing a ton. And what I think is the old school, old guard sales leaders, which I would count myself one among one if I hadn't you know, become changed, we all grew up at a time when, you know, you didn't have all these tools. You didn't, you know, and you forecasted based on, forecasting was a black art and you were either good at it or you were lousy at it, you know, and the, and the guys and gals that sort of rose to the top, they had a feel for the business and they were able to kind of, you know, magically come up with those forecasts and generally be somewhat accurate. Although the accuracy of, you know, the general population in the wild of forecasting is pretty, pretty, pretty poor. And so there are, you will still see people like that today that just think of this as, you know, no one's ever going to replace me and my ability to call the ball because I, you know, just have this incredible knack and whatever else. And that's great. And, they, and I'm not here to say that those people aren't good at it. They are. But the new folks coming up aren't like that. The new folks coming up embrace all the technology. They've known nothing other than to use all the technology. And so I think what you're finding is that those those folks that want to do it the old-fashioned way are kind of dinosaurs. And, you know, as they move away and become obsolete, the, the new crew is embracing technology. And so, and if you see folks like me that are a little older, the reason that they're not dinosaurs is because they've, they've embraced the change and they've sort of said, you know, you got to be up with the times and, and, and using all this new technology because if you aren't and your competitor is, I mean, it's game over. You know, it, it's funny. It's a, I will tell you, this has been a, a theme quite a bit in conversations I've had with revenue leaders over the last several months, which is kind of this dynamic between team management and then the ability to absorb data and apply that data real time. But what we're really talking about is planning in the sense of planning is ongoing is my sense overall. So it's not just a one and done moment. Do you find that there are big differences in success in terms of folks that are willing to embrace planning on a rolling basis compared to folks that are thinking of planning as an annual event? Yeah, you know, and it, it goes back because you had asked me that question of where do I think it's working and, and where do I think it's not? And I'm probably being too long-winded, but, you know, I gave you the examples of where it's working. Well, where I don't think it's being adopted as much is on the planning side. I think that they're a laggard as far as that goes, because the general sales planning MO today is a one and done. You build it in some kind of a spreadsheet. You make 60 different assumptions on when we're going to hire reps, how many we're going to hire, what the attrition is going to be, what the sales ASPs are going to be, what the discounting is going to be, on and on and on. You make, you know, a, a series of assumptions based on, you know, some level of reality. But I mean, generally it's, you know, when I talk to people and say, what's your average ramp for, for your reps? They'll be like, oh, it's six months or, oh, it's nine months for this level rep and six months for that. And then that's what gets plugged in this giant spreadsheet. And and so it's just a, a building on a, on a multitude of these assumptions the problem is the data is not good enough to make all these assumptions, A. And B, to your point, it isn't a one-and-done situation. It needs to be a living, breathing plan that's helping guide you throughout the year. And so when we talk about planning, the planning that we do with our customers is using all the data that's in our system, right? Now, I talked about the 17 years of data. That's great when you're doing correlative work or AI models and things like that. But when you're just talking about Acme Widget wants to do their, their sales planning for the next year, 
we're going to look at their data that we now have because we know obviously empirically everything about their their go-to-market teams, not in in generalities like the average ramp for this type of rep is six months. We literally can say it's 172 days. You know, that's the average because we know it, right? We have the actual empirical data. So what we do with our planning is we take 60 of those guessing, you know, games and maybe 45 of them we plug empirically, right? There's still some level of guessing in there, but I think the issue historically is when you're making, you know, 60 different ballpark guesses, you're off by a little bit, you know, it's like, imagine trying to go to the moon and get the telemetry right. You, you know, you just a couple of those assumptions go the wrong way. You're going to shoot right past it. You're never nowhere near, right? In our world, you don't have to make all those guesses. We can just populate it. And then it's a living, breathing, actual document, not document, but a piece of software that is guiding you throughout the quarter of the year. So if you're two months in and the plan said, you were supposed to hire five people and, you know, see this kind of average uh, quota attainment, it's going to start sending up flares and go, hey, you haven't hired those people. And the average quota attainment is below the glide path that's on the plan. So it tells you, that, you know, you don't have to find out at the end of the year that or the end of the quarter that you're going to miss. It's telling you with, with time to actually do something about it. I mean, think about that. That's unheard of in most sales organizations today, what I just described. And that's kind of embarrassing in the year 2022 that people are still doing this on spreadsheets in a one and done, stick it in the drawer once they get approval manner. Uh, it's a shame, but that's, that is the majority of how people do it. And are you seeing when new customers are coming to exactly, I'm really curious because I feel like the value prop for sales performance management over time has really been, it is a big effort and you are doing a poor job of compensating your reps. And it feels like on some level, most organizations have adopted a sales performance management platform somewhere along the way, unless they're really tiny and they're still in that spreadsheet land. And so what I want to understand is how much of the new customers you're seeing are having that original acute problem and how many of them are actually experiencing a planning problem or are they not mutually exclusive? In other words, are they typically pretty related when they're showing up and saying, please help? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a little bit of both. You would be surprised to hear probably, based on what you just said, that there is still arguably way more than 50% of the companies that are running their comp systems on spreadsheets or, or homegrown systems. Yeah, it's, a, it's unbelievable. So the number that have actually adopted technologies like ours is, is actually pretty low. The, the amount of uh, green space in our, in our particular market on the comp side is still very, very large. It's almost 95% spreadsheets in the planning world that, you know, almost nobody has really embraced or, or gotten to where they're using the kind of planning that I'm talking about where you, you know, it's integrated to this data set that's happening within comp. I mean, it's very, very uncommon. What's happening is they come to us because they have a, you know, a comp problem. Then they learn about the fact that, Hey, upstream, you, you know, you could design better plans for your go-to-market planning, but then they also are learning you know, as you introduced me, we're talking about our, our tagline, which is uh, this uh, intelligent revenue platform. We call it IRP. That's where the world is going, right? People are not wanting to just do straight line comp anymore the way they all, they all used to. And so one of the things that's happening is Excel is kind of running out of gas. Spreadsheets are running out of gas to be able to do the types of much more, I would say, creative 
compensating to drive more intelligent revenue rather than just what I call dumb revenue, which is just volume. We got to just sell more stuff. You know, that's kind of the way it was always designed. Accomplished, just, hey, just dangle the carrot, drive more sales. Well, today, if you think that way, again, it's, it's kind of Neanderthal, right? The new modern, you know, sales leaders are thinking about quality of revenue, not just quantity, right? Because that's, that's much more the name of the game. And it's kind of ironic, especially in this time where, you know, all these companies that have been going growth, 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 trying to get these massive valuations and getting them are now sitting there going, now what? The market's completely turned its back on us. They don't care about our growth, growth, growth. They want profitability. <laughs> and so, you know, this whole quantity, quantity, quantity story is failing, right? It's quality. If you aren't doing good revenue, that's going to drop to the bottom line profitability wise, then your days are numbered. Chris, I've learned a ton from this conversation. Uh, thanks for so much for joining us and sharing your expertise today. Happy to do it, Doug. Great. Enjoyed it. Thanks. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the Revenue Generator Podcast. Thanks to Chris Cabrera, founder and CEO at Exactly, for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Chris and I are going to dig in and talk about inflation's impact on budgets. If you can't wait until our next episode, would like to learn more about Chris, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, and you can follow him via LinkedIn. Otherwise, you can visit the company website at exactlycorp.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about, folks. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to revgenpod.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, apply to be a speaker on the Revenue Generator podcast, or you can even share your revenue generation questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is at revgenpod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Market Advocate. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a daily stream of RevGen strategies in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed the next business day. Okay, that's all for today. But until next time, keep cranking because the revenue is going to generate itself. 